Right, I'm still here, bitch. <laughs> I, I'm still here. I could have not been here so many times. I've thought about it so many times, but I still wake up every morning. I get out of bed, take my dog on a walk, and I embrace the day. I take it one day at a time now. I don't. I try not to think in advance because that's when the anxiety kids can but take it day by day and it just deal what comes you know and that's the biggest part that's why i want people to really understand is i'm still here if i'm still here you can still be here because it gets dark but guess what it gets better and then it gets dark again and then it gets better <laughs> Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to I've Been Better. I'm your host, Susan Youngstead. And as always, I just want to say thank you so much for our continued listeners, our continued supporters. And if you're new here, let me tell you a little bit about I've Been Better. I've Been Better is a storytelling podcast where we invite real people to share their real stories in real time. So we are so incredibly grateful for you checking us out. And hopefully you'll share this with a friend or a family member so we can continue to spread the stories of people in our lives as well. Um, And as always, please be sure to follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook. And then check us out on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd love for you to subscribe and rate and review if you feel so moved to do so. So of course, Jasmine's here, just so everybody knows. She's in the room. Um, But let's go ahead and just jump right in to today's guest so we will waste no time. Um, Today's guest is someone who has become a very fast friend. Um, I think we honestly met within the last year, more than likely, and has quickly become a great friend and someone who we have way more in common than I think we realized initially when we first met. So uh, without further ado, here is Tony Templeton. Hi. Hi. So glad to have you here. Yes, me too. Thank you. Yes, I'm so excited. So let me go ahead and share a little bit about Tony with you all before we jump right into it. So Tony likes to identify as just a regular millennial trying to make it in this fucked up society. Do I feel that? Especially in <laughs> it's Pride Month, y'all. I totally y'all. feel this. It has been crazy when we're recording this episode. Um, Tony has two bachelors, sports medicine and sports management from Indiana University. Um, his accomplishments are still being here and trying to figure out life. As he's gotten older, one of the biggest things Tony is passionate about is being an open book and telling his story so that others out there don't feel alone. Hence, I've been better and being on the podcast. Um Tony also wants us to acknowledge that, you know, he is LGBTQ and also not white. So I think that throws in a lot of factors that have made life really difficult, particularly in the last few years with all that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, For fun, Tony likes to read, hike with his dog, engage in ceramics. So cool. And go to the driving range. And his fun fact that I think is so cool is he was in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade his senior year of high school. I was. Yeah. I was a little band nerd in high school. Oh my God, I love it. I love it. Okay. And I want to acknowledge that even though Tony did not acknowledge this on his portion of the bio, he is a member of DPC, even though you don't actively attend meetings, but you not are a yet, member. Not yet. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to get him in there. Um, so thank you. Welcome, Tony. Thank you so much. Yay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Where did you go to high school? I went to high school in Elkhart, Indiana. Okay. Um, Concord High School is the name. Okay. Um, not originally from Indiana. I was born in New Jersey. Love that. And my family moved to Indiana when I was 12. Wow. Why? Was, um, cost of living. New Jersey's expensive. And they wanted us to have a better education. 
And my dad's side of the family actually lived in Indiana. And my mom's side is based on the East Coast. So unwillingly, I was not very happy (laughs) moving to the Midwest. Jersey, like beach town to the Midwest. The Midwest. And we grew up on the ocean every summer. Then I went... Cows, farms, Amish people. Here I am. (laughs) A total 180. Yes. But looking back, probably the best decision that my parents made at the time. I just didn't realize it yet. We never do when we're young. No. It takes getting older to realize that. So spent high school, my high school years in Indiana, and then um, went to college, obviously at IU. Love that. About five hours away from home down south. So overall, good, good experience. Good. How did you guys get in the Macy's Day Parade? So my sophomore year of high school, we won the state marching band championship. Okay, what instrument did you play? I played the clarinet, and I also played the saxophone. Wow. Yeah. Got some pipes. Got, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I still know how to play that. <laughs> it's been years. But we won, and they we applied for to be in the Macy's Day show, and we got we got it. So I that would have been my senior year that we would have, we flew out. Well, we didn't fly out. We uh, drove out to New York and got to be in the parade for a week. Oh my God. So cool. Yeah. It was very fun. Was it an experience of a lifetime? Have you it's, ever been back? Oh yeah. I've oh, been yeah. back, but I have, I mean, definitely experienced a lifetime. lifetime. Haven't been in the parade since. <laughs> Unfortunately, but, I didn't qualify. Right. But that was a crazy, I mean, just being on TV the entire time. <gasps> and the whole experience is wild because you have to wake up at like 1 a.m. They line you up. Yeah. And and then you have to do like your rehearsal in front of the cameras to make sure they got the right angles. And then we got back on the bus and slept for a couple hours and then had to be back up. Oh my God. And march this whole parade. And mind you, it's New York in November. So it's fucking cold. Fucking cold. And I was playing clarinet, so we can't wear gloves on (gasps) our fingers because of the open holes. So by the time the parade was over, could not feel. Nope. My hands could not feel my toes. Nope. It was bad. Yep. But I wouldn't trade it for the world. I love that. Like I had <laughs> hypothermia, but I would do it again. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool to be able to say, I would put that on everything. Yeah. Like I was on TV. Go back and watch it. Right. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I think w- we met what literally at a drag show a year ago. We met at a drag. Right. No, I think we met before that yeah, at yeah. some random party. Oh, yes. Okay. In the group thing. Yep. But we really didn't connect until the drag show a year ago. Yeah. So literally a year yeah. this month. Mm-hmm. Oh my and, God. That's um, so funny. I think we had prior to that when we were talking, it was, we I remember you told me that you worked, you know, in your uh, area of expertise. Oh, that's right. No, that's how we met. Our friends party. Yes. Yes. And we didn't see each other for like four months because you were moving jobs and you know what was going on. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I kind of shared like I was like, well, my life has been a wild ride. And that's when we were going to try to for me to come see you as a client, but it didn't work out because of my insurance. Yes. So, but I'm happy it didn't work out, honestly. Yeah, because now we can be friends. Because now we can be friends. Yes. So. I love that. Yeah, y'all be, this is where I have to like watch myself. If I start talking about therapy at a party with alcohol, y'all need to be like, she done. Go back, get out. Cut her off. <laughs> we got to go because there be was done. definitely alcohol there. <laughs> well, and then it's like, I don't mind doing it for the first little bit. I have a pretty filter. I'm like, yep, that sounds great. Yep. Here's my number. Like, whatever here's here's how we work here's what i treat whatever blah 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 but if i'm in a corner and someone has cornered me to talk about therapy someone save me because at that point i'm like i should not be talking about therapy come get her three drinks deep in the corner i need to go i love that okay um let's just go into it um so i'm adopted um into a white family and i am mexican and black okay i love this so interracial adoption 
not talked about enough no. at all. And the <clears throat> all the issues that arise from that. Crazy. But we can start from the beginning. I have never really spoken publicly about this. A lot of my close friends and obviously my adopted family, well, they're my family, my, my family knows. But this is something that I've always really wanted to be open about and share. So my adoption was not normal. Um, I was abandoned as a baby. Wow. So I was born at four o'clock in the morning. Uh, my mom had me by herself in the bathroom at her house. Mm. And then she put me outside. In like a bag. In a bag. Put me outside kind in, of in, in, in some tall brush. Oh. And later that night around 11 p.m., um, some neighbors a couple houses down heard me crying. They called the police. And that's how they found me. That's a, it's insane. insane. It's like Tarzan. But yeah. not Tarzan. <laughs> right. Right, where there's just like a baby. A baby. And just out there. In the middle, in the, well, late July in the summer in the <gasps> Northeast. Like, well, and you had said that she thought you were dead. She thought I was dead. So I'm, however, I was born born i don't know if my umbilical cord was wrapped in my neck I, like you weren't crying though no so she, i was not at least crying. according to her yeah according to her i was not crying and my skin was blue so oh God. And you're not blue now i'm so. definitely not blue no. <laughs> yeah Mm-mm. but wow crazy crazy uh that is a whole like we could literally do a whole other podcast just on that story I alone bet. Um, we could do hours of like podcasts. literally hours and um i was abandoned outside and miraculously later on that day i was found i was an infant like just newborn where was this new jersey um i'm from so my hometown is washington new jersey small town about an hour hour and a half outside new york city so kind of like getting up into the mountains a little bit and i was born in july so summertime, oh I should not be here. Let's yeah, so just someone say like that. put you in a box. It's they the, put it's me in the a stories bag. We my, hear, my, right? my biological mom put me in a bag, and she was young. She was sixteen, um, so, and she did not know that she. That, she thought I was dead. Wow. When I, because she had me by herself oh. at home. She wasn't. They, look, I girl, like, like oh. I tell you, this is like a situation. And I, don't, I apologize for no. like putting this you no, no, no. on the spot for this, but like this needs to talk, be talked. Okay, about. I'm then I'm here for it. I'll hold the space. But um, so. I was found airlifted, still alive, put in foster care uh, in New Jersey, and then my mom and my dad came six days later and started like feeding me in the hospital, and then they took me home. Well, you were an infant. I mean, you were just born, newborn. Literally newborn. Those are my mom and my dad. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and um, so I was raised in New Jersey. Um, and looking back on it. Like, I just had no idea, obviously. Mm -hmm. Like, they're not going to tell me, like, what really happened. And going through that experience, being raised as a black child in an all-white family is just mind-blowing. Like, I just didn't know who I was. I'm over here. I, like, caught myself saying something just now when you were, like, when you were saying, hey, let's just dive into it because we got a lot lot of ground we want to cover. And I was like, oh, I love that. And you were like, I was adopted into, you know, I'm Mexican and black adopted into a white family. I was like, oh, I love that. And I was like, ooh, stop saying that as a white woman. Like, being like, ooh, I need to stop acknowledging. (laughs) It wasn't what I, I meant to say, like, I love that we're talking about this. But the way it comes off, right, is like, oh, yeah, there's a lot in that, Mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of 
I mean, systemic, I, I can't, we can't, again, we could talk for three hours about right. like the inherent systemic racism that exists in adoption and foster care and CPS. And this idea of like this white saviorism, right? Of like adopting. Adopting, like I saved yes. you. Yes. Like, okay. Like, yes. But anybody can save anybody. Right. So it's. It, yeah. And also like, I didn't ask to be saved. Right. Which that's a whole other thing is because a lot of adoptees and it doesn't matter if you're interracial adoptee or whatnot, like you inherently feel this feeling that you owe somebody something, mm -hmm. even if they don't make you feel that type of way. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, you feel like, well, I didn't have to be here. Mm -hmm. And especially because I have three older sisters who are biological to my adoptive parents. So like, you know, those are their kids. Yeah. And here I am. Granted, they are 25 years older than me, but still like you just grow up with that feeling of, I owe, you feel like you owe somebody something. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, my childhood was amazing. I l spoiled. Do you feel comfortable sharing your mom and dad's first name? Yeah. So Frank, who is deceased, and then Joan, who is still alive. We love them. Yeah, we love them Thanks, very Frank much. Thanks, Frank and Joan. Yes, they are amazing people. And um, they did not only adopt me, but they adopted four others Holy after moly. me. And when I was born, they were 49 years old. Wow. So they were older and they, moms just felt like, she's always said, like, we just felt like we were, you know, meant to do this. And so every kid they got in foster care, they just got attached and just adopted. They were foster fails so, so times yes. four. Yeah. So like after adopting five of us, they're like, yeah, we're done. We can't, we can't, we can't, we can't. We can't do this anymore. <laughs> um, no more room. Right. But I'm the oldest of the adopted. And then I have a brother. And then I have three little sisters. It's almost like, too, like you said, like you, your eldest set of siblings are 25 years older than you. So it's kind of like you have like these aunts and uncles. I, yeah. All, I have like a lot of parents. Yeah. You've got all these yeah. caregivers, right? These grown ups mm -hmm. in your life. And then you got to be the older sibling right. to a bunch of siblings. Exactly. Too. So it's been learn. It's been a whole learning experience from yeah. beginning to end. And, you know, growing up in Jersey, like it was great. And when we moved to Indiana, you know, a lot of the culture was just a lot different. Like in New Jersey, mm -hmm. like, yeah, I did go to, I've always, from preschool through college, I went to predominantly white schools. That's sure. just what it was. I was lived, that just due to the area not being as diverse? It was just the areas we lived in were just weren't diverse. And then, you know, oh, how do I say this? The type of neighborhoods we lived in were, you know, nicer. So that's just how it was. Yeah. So I grew up thinking you know am i white am i black am i mexican like i don't i don't know like i'm just who i am mm -hmm. and when we moved to indiana like going to school out there i started to notice it more because i was getting older so things are starting to come more apparent and mm -hmm. i'm like hmm you know eh, like i don't know like it was just very 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 confusing yeah and then into high school, I was just so involved with like band and I was in sports and I was in key club and I was, in, I was that kid. Oh my God, okay? I was in key club too. I was like yeah. that kid. Like my mom and dad were always like, the more you do, the better. Like they were grooming me for college. Like do as much now. <laughs> be successful. Okay. And be successful. Yeah. So like, I just didn't really. You had all the opportunities. Yeah. I yeah. didn't really notice. Like it, like I recognized that I was different, but then at the same time, everyone treated me like there everybody was no, else. Like, explicit conversations of being like tony no you are different than everyone in this right. family and i was just and i hate to say this but i used to say it back then i don't see color oh well, that's how we were most of us were raised particularly and in the midwest it's just yes. like crazy like I, I didn't and i i 
I didn't see color, but I, I you shouldn't. You know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Well, especially right as a white family yeah. adopting children of color and a variety right. of ethnicities and backgrounds to not acknowledge the culture right. and heritage that you come I mean, from. Let's just be honest. Like I'm black and Mexican. My brother's Puerto Rican. My sister is white. My other sister's Puerto Rican, and then my youngest sister is black. Oh, yeah. So we, our family's just all over the place. But one thing I will say is. When, especially when my youngest sister got adopted, she was born in 1999. My mom and my, one of my older sisters, I can't remember which one, actually took classes through the state to learn how to do black girls' hair hair. and like all these things. And my mom would try to cook like a diverse group of foods. So like we trying. she she did her best, and it was the '90s. Come on, like in the '90s, right? It like was if, not. No, it's it, not what it is now, no. right? Where you can find yeah. black barbershops to take your children right. to, and you do, and they all y'all lived in like I don't know the suburbs of Indiana. I don't even know what that girl if, what's the name of the suburbs. Honey, we lived in the fields. Okay, the country, uh, right. right? So like, <laughs> did you have a place to go, right, to um, take your kids to do their hair? R- right, and we fortunately found people because some of my dad's family. Um, had black relatives so like i got to go to the barbershops a black barbershop for the first time my sister got to go get her hair braided by this nice lady from kenya and like so it was like they tried they tried they tried you know what i mean i'm not faulting them for anything for that um but my so now going into my junior high school i was in u.s history and um i it was right around thanksgiving and my teacher was like, we want you guys to bring in a dish that represents your family. And we're just going to have a, like a little Thanksgiving Dude, I dinner. A whole just, buffet, I was okay? like, I don't even know where to start. So at the time, I, has work, I was working my first job of 16, working at Target. So I got home from school. I mean, I got home from work one night after school. And it was like 9 o'clock at night. My dad had leftovers left out for dinner. I was sitting at the kitchen table eating. My mom was actually in Florida at the time visiting my uncle. And I asked my dad, I was like, hey, can you give me any, any more information on my, like, birth mom because at that point i had no idea who my biological father was i didn't even know if i was ever going to find out who he was and he was like yeah and he's like i think you're old enough to know so on a random night of the week all the stuff about the abandonment and everything that happened with my birth mom at that point you're like came eating out. lasagna and you're like i literally was just gonna... i was having spaghetti that was that's oh funny. my god yeah yes. like, i'm just eating spaghetti yeah. thinking i'm about to be told that like your mom you know she was it wasn't the right time right. we fed whatever it all worked out we got you it was great yeah. and then you were like mouth to spaghetti fork to mouth being like i'm sorry what mind what blown. is how i'm 16 what are right. you telling me right now right yeah. and i remember going to bed going to bed that night and being like couldn't sleep and i was just like thinking i'm like oh my god i should not even be here like i should have been dead like the day i was born like this is crazy crazy and i it took a long time for it to like well yeah even get used to the idea well i love that your dad so casually he's like yes like literally it was just Just so casual you you almost died and we and we you were rescued literally right right, and then we came to adopt you and you're like what am i supposed to do with this fucking information i just wanted to know like if i could should cook like a food dish right. for this week or not. Like, I just don't know what to do. And my mom was fucking livid oh, when was. she got home. Yep. Oh my God. <laughs> Joan lost her shit. She did. She was very upset. And um, so, you know, I go through the rest of high school. Now I'm just like, I kind of ignored it to an extent. I was like, okay, well, this is what happened. Now I know some of my older siblings are talking to me. Some of my other family members are just like, we were so upset with your biological mom, what she did to you. And I didn't really know how to take it at the time because I've never, because my parents always talked so well of my biological mother. Mm -hmm. She was young. She was a very nice girl. She was so sweet. So I didn't have any like 
pent up anger against her. So I'm like I emotional about that. They could have hated her. They could have, but they didn't. They always told me good things about her. And in my like in my baby book, you know how though you know they were big in the nineties. Oh, I have one. I right. still have one. Yeah. And uh they would have they had pictures of her in there of when she still had visitation rights of me before I was officially adopted. Wow. So like I never I didn't have any like anger or anything against her. I didn't know. Well I love that they didn't alienate no, her. Didn't, They're like she was great, Tony. Right. And all they said was after the adoption they don't know where she went. I mean and that's her that, that was her choice. Yeah. And I you know later I, we'll get there but you know, so then I get through high school and I go to college. Oh boy! Oh girl, college. Ooh, I miss it. But uh, <laughs> that was a time, right? It was, it was a time. time, and um, that was the first time in my life that, even though I went to a predominantly white school, my freshman year, majority of my friends ended up being black. Wow! Huge shift. Yeah. Huge shift. That's when I started to notice how different I was. Mm-hmm. Like the, how you'd been raised and brought up was so different. So different. I mean, I remember one time, like, they they had an ice skating rink open. I was like, oh, I want to go ice skating tonight. And they were looking at me like, you know how to ice skate? I'm like, you don't? Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. oh, you like, you've been skiing and snowboarding? Like, yeah. Like, there's wow. things that they didn't grow up. I just grew up like that. Yep. And, um, you know, that's when I found my voice, though. Because in the black culture, you know, they're always picking on somebody. They're, you know, they're talking shit to their friends. They're talking shit, you know, not like playfully. And like, if you don't have that voice to stick up for yourself, they're going to eat you alive. Mm -hmm. So that really made me who I am today. Like, I don't have a filter. I love it. I just say whatever the fuck I want to say. I don't care. And it really made me embrace who I really was inside. I learned how to say no for the first time in my life i was always just like yeah like i'll do it like even though i didn't want to i was just that kid that was just like yeah 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 well, again look at how you were raised right. and the expectations right? right and then you went away was there a shift in that relationship with your parents then because you went and found your voice and were exposed to more culturally actually diverse stuff no, no like it's great I, 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 I remember one time i brought a couple of my friends home for the weekend because we were gonna because um the Elkhart is not that far outside Chicago. So we were going to go stay with my parents for a night or two and then go into the city and then go back to school. And um, my, my friends were like, you really don't change who you are in front of your parents. I said, no, like this is like, this is me. And my mom and dad, like they fell in love with these kids. Like Mm -hmm. they, so it was like, it was really cool to see like the dynamic, like my, my relationship didn't change at all with my mom and dad. They were actually really happy that I like was embracing that side of me. And um, that, that for those first two years of college, you know, really like really changed me. And then, um, well, it sounds like it changed you, but not like no. you just, I just found out who I was. You, you had it in you this maybe whole time, but like you said, because you weren't exposed to that environment or didn't have access mm-hmm. to those people and those experiences that you just uncovered it. Right. When you got to college right. and your parents sound so incredible. They're, uh, like ahead of which we sad to be like ahead of their time which was only like 10 years ago but we're like ahead of their time right. like it's just it's, amazing it's crazy and like you know i grew up going to church um every week you know my what kind of church was it assemblies of god so like it's a christian, or, yeah. okay. it's christian yeah okay. and um you know my parents especially my dad was like conservative like fox news on every night oh, rush limbaugh on the fucking radio <laughs> in the truck like you know Frank, right why? right but Despite them being like that, like they were still very open. Well, their like, practices, yeah, seemed to be different than yeah. what they were listening to like, in many ways. I don't like to tell people I was raised in a conservative household, 
because yes, it was conservative, but not like we think crazy conservative. conservative. The term conservative has also yeah. changed significantly since right. the '90s, right? Like, right. men. I don't know many people who would have identified as liberal then, but they would be now right. if you actually looked at what right. that meant. Yeah. And like now, my mom is like completely like moderate, like even I would even say like a little bit more. Like liberally, yeah. yeah, progressive. We she just that, gets yeah. it now. I'm like, oh, thank God. But <laughs> dodge that one, right? But um, you know, going further into all this crazy stories, we're gonna get to my junior year of college. Why we're is there. it? Why is it always my junior year? I was about to say just, something junior it's, year. It's something with the junior. That's why I'm not going back to school ever again. Yeah, no, no, we can't. Have, <laughs> we can go for two years. I can go for two. So we, a we're, master's, we, right? That's it. Um, or an associate's, I guess. <laughs> I, right. <laughs> I um got invited to a friend's twenty first birthday party. And I, because I was born in New Jersey and then moving to Indiana, the cutoff dates were different. So when I moved to Indiana, I was a year younger than the kids I was actually at grade level with, which sucks. Why do we do this? Can we not have like a streamlined system in this country right. for anything? Because like 16th birthday sucks because everyone's driving and you're not. Mm-hmm. And then 21 sucks because I literally had to wait a year after all my friends turned 21. So I got invited to this party. I didn't want to go. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, I can party with you guys until midnight and then you're going to the bars and I have to go back to the apartment. Right. So I go. I actually have a really good time. It's at a different... So my friend went to a different school. So we drove up there. It was like three hours away. Me and my roommate. Got to see a lot of people. I had a great good time. Was beyond drunk. Like, smoking, doing all the things. Little 20-year-old Tony. Just wild as hell. Unleashed, unhinged. And um, I asked... Two of my friends, they they shared an apartment. And I was like, hey, can I just crash on your couch for the night? My roommate's going to stay with this girl he was talking to. And he was going to come pick me up the next morning. We're going back to I where we live. I remember these times. It was girl, just like just, a fucking free for all. It was just whatever. Survive just, the night. Just roll the dice and just hope mm-hmm. you wake up the next morning. Yep. So my friends whose birthday it was, um, her sister, who was pregnant at the time, dropped me off at the apartment because she was like the DD. And... um. I went upstairs, I remember just like chugging like three glasses of water, doing the Tylenol routine because yes. I knew tomorrow was going to be awful and getting on the couch, putting on, specifically I put on the DVD version of The Matrix <laughs> to fall asleep. <laughs> Why I remember that, I don't know. I passed the fuck out, clearly. The next thing I know, I am being yanked off the couch. We're going to throw in a trigger warning. Yeah. Oh yeah. For this this is a trigger 100%. Yes. I am uh, pulled off the couch by my arm. I am in such a daze because obviously I'm not in my right mind. I have no strength. I don't know what's going on. And then I'm thrown on the floor and we can just, you know, go from there with the rape. I was tied up and it was a friend of mine. Mm. And worst night of my life, 100%. And then... It lasted for an hour and 15 minutes because in the struggle, the alarm clock got knocked off like the bedside table and it was like right in my face. So all I could do is just like watch the time. Like I couldn't do anything else. And then I would imagine you're like you're incapacitated. Yeah. You're drunk. However we want to label that you are incapacitated with substances of some kind. And then again, throwing in this trigger, right? Like you were experiencing a violent rape where you were trapped i couldn't i mean i couldn't do anything and like the whole time i'm just like what do i do like part of me is preparing myself to be killed at the end of this and did did you uh, this sounds so insensitive to say did you realize who it was at the time yes like 
instantly. And did your fight or flight kick in? What was that? My fight, it definitely kicked in. Like I tried to fight oh, I, so, I imagine so. Yes. hard, yeah. but he was bigger than me. And there was just no way. Well, like you said, you just kind of checked out. Yeah, right? I just, like, like, I'm just going to watch this clock. Yeah, like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And so he cut me on loose. I go back out on the couch and I'm just like in pain and I'm like shaking. Like, I'm just like beyond. So I text my roommate who has who had my car and I'm like, you need to come get me. We need to leave. Like, I don't know. Like, we just need to go. So he comes and gets me and we get in the car. And before we get in the car dude grabs my arm and he's like if you say anything to anybody me and my brother will kill you this is like the storybook textbook fully, that we hear. fully believed him because well, i knew his brother and his brother psychopath wild just crazy person and also why what you just yeah, were violently right. taken out of your sleep in a very vulnerable position right like we can pause and acknowledge this for a second how heavy this is yet we're talking in this very fast-paced way because i can imagine you've had you've had you've sat with this for years, yeah it's 10 been plus years. it's been what it's 2023 this happened 20 this happened 2010 so almost 12 13 years ago right yeah. and yeah so you are i can only imagine we don't even have to go into what you're thinking or feeling because i can't i can't put myself yeah. to fully under you know respect that and so you call a friend, like, come get, f- come fucking get me. Mm-hmm. And this person is acting like they, they know what they've done is wrong, Yeah, but they're like, I'll just kill you. And you're like, yeah, why the fuck would I not believe you? Right. And that, and that's all it took. That, yeah. th- those words, it's all it took. This is the textbook example of abuse yeah. that happens of like, someone threatens you. And so you don't say anything. And you just hold it. And what did I do? I got in the car. He's like, are you okay? I was like, I just don't feel good. We just need to go home. So get home and you know, I remember like drinking that afternoon heavily after we got back because I was just was like, I just want to be numb. I don't want to feel anything. I'm like, what like, the I, fuck just happened right, to you? Right. And, um, you know, going forward from that, like, what did I do? I picked up a second major because I was that point in my life. I just really I never really knew how to express myself. Like I was always I could never find the right words. So I was used to just avoiding and holding things in. Well, and what a juxtaposition, right? You're like, yeah, right. I went from high school to college, felt like I was finding myself. Right. But I still felt kind of lost. Right. And that situation just made it even more. I had no idea what I was doing. So well, had I, you ever been exposed to any no, of that? No, like yeah. none of that. Like that, this was a whole different world at this point. And like I'm seeing things through a whole different lens. And I picked up a second major and I just basically buried myself into school. And like, you were good at it. I was good at it. And it just made me not think. But at the same time, that's when my issues with substances happened. And before that, I would just drink, obviously, and then I would smoke weed. And that was it. I never tried anything else. The stress and the hurt and the pain from that situation made it so bad that that's when I started dabbling with cocaine. And then I. My friend of mine was like, well, you know, you should try Molly. And I, girl, the Molly nights, crazy, you know? And I tried mushrooms. And that's when that shit started. Like, anytime I would feel some type of way, I would just, okay, I, I need to do something right now. I can't think about this. I can't deal with it. Like, I just need to. Did it kind of like, was it like it was buried? Right? You'd, you'd worked so hard to bury this because you can't say anything. Right. One, for the fear of, also, let's please acknowledge that. Tony, you identify as a male right. and you present as a male mm-hmm. and we don't fucking talk about male rape. male rape. Oh my. And this is, I was thinking about this before I came over. I was like, I re- 
it's not talked about it's such a stigma to it yes but it happens so often in the military and universities across the frat you know you can go it it just happens and i want to be a voice of like this has happened to me and i know how it affected me really bad for a couple of years just sitting there and not being able to tell anybody and this person who did this to me is still friends with my friends but th it's because they don't know what happened and if they would have known what happened it would have turned out completely differently but I just didn't ever said anything. Well, and again, because like, as you were saying, like, let's see, we can even paint this whole picture, right? You've been describing of what it was like to grow up with your family mm -hmm. and grow up in the towns you grew up in and the protective factors that you had, right? right? And these other um, exposures to privilege in this way, mm -hmm. right? That I'm sure your parents lived in a la-la land world where these things don't happen, right? Right? To them or to mm -hmm. their loved ones or to their family. So then you go to college, which is already a really vulnerable experience. Right. And then you're thrown into this world that you weren't exposed to before. So then you go to college, you are in this extremely vulnerable position. And I'm, we all were aware that sexual assault happens, right? Like we're not, I would imagine there's not many people who live under rocks who don't believe sexual assault happens, but I imagine there's a part of you that's like, that will never happen to me. Oh yeah, of course. Like everybody else. Everyone's yeah. just like, that's never going to happen. It's never going to happen, right? And then it does. By someone you would have never suspected. Never in my entire life would have thought this person Why would have you have gone to that me? house? Right. Yeah. If you, that was my safe space. That's your safe space. Like, You're like, yeah, I'm drunk. I'm going to come over and sleep I, on your I'm couch. I'm going to sleep on the couch. Like, and, you know, it was, it, looking back, I'm like, I could have done things so much differently, but could I have? No. And also that's like that self-blame, yeah. right? This idea that like that was on you to prevent and exactly. protect yourself from. Absolutely fucking not. No. That individual is the one we need to hold accountable to that. So of course you drink. You drink to bury it. Yeah. It didn't happen to me. It doesn't exist. But what if, what do we all know? Does that ever really work? No, it doesn't because no. we're going into that next of what happened <laughs> it after didn't fucking that. Work. It didn't fucking work. So, you know, now I'm going through my last two years of school just completely just like stressed out because I put way too much on myself. And then I'm dealing with all this personal shit and I'm trying to graduate and I'm terrified of running into this person or anybody that's closely associated with this person at this point. And I know that we're, even though we lived in two separate towns, we still knew a lot of the same people around the state. Indiana's mm -hmm. not that big, so. Well, it's university life. Right, right. you're gonna know everybody. And um, my going into my last year of school, I was just like, I need to find a job that is far, far, far away. And mm -hmm. I just need to get the hell out of Bloomington and I need to move mm -hmm. and start over. So I applied for a job at Arizona State University got the job um so after graduation i was gonna, just gonna move to arizona did that five days after i graduated packed my shit up my friend was gonna help me drive out there went home to say bye to my family and we got on the road to arizona now we are driving through oklahoma at like 11 30 midnight she's sleeping in the passenger seat i'm driving at this point it's my shift and i started to feel really weird like metal taste in my mouth pains down my left arm and i went to school for sports medicine so i had to get licensed to be a, a emt i know the signs of a fucking heart attack <gasps> i'm thinking i'm having a heart attack like i'm full on like my blood pressure sky high my heart rate sky high my vision starting to tunnel it feels like there's something going on in my chest i wake her up i'm freaking the fuck out i'm like i'm having a heart attack we're in the middle of bumfuck oklahoma like literally nowhere we got to find a hospital she starts crying because she's freaking out because I'm freaking out. We get into the hospital. They get me in. 
and it's just a little tiny little county hospital kind of reminded me something out of a horror film <laughs> so now I'm, I'm picturing so, it now so so now i'm freaking out even more like i'm really gonna die here i'm 22 years old like this is not good they, so they take me back they get me hooked up to everything they do a chest x-ray and an EKG. And the girl keeps looking at the EKG. And I'm thinking that she's just a new nurse who's just not really sure. Okay, what does this say? Right. And she's just like, uh, she's like, I think we need to call the on-call cardiologist. And I'm like, You're oh. like, okay, I'm, I'm dying. Like, at Goodbye. this point, they're just like loading me up with like antipsychotics to like calm me the fuck down. Yeah. And the cardiologist comes in, looks at the chest x-ray, looks at the EKG. He's like, well, son, I can tell you one thing. He's like, you're not having a heart attack. And I was like, okay. He's like, you're having a massive panic attack. And I'm like, oh. And he's like, by the way, did you know that you have a heart condition? Um, no. So that's why she was freaking out. Yeah. Because of my EKG was fucked up. And he's like, yeah. He was like, we're going to do one more test, but I think you have pericarditis. And I'm like, what the hell is that? And he's like, so the lining around your heart basically is inflamed. And that has to do, it can deal with stress, anxiety, also substance abuse with all like the uppers and shit i have been doing over the past couple years he's like there's a number of factors but he's like i think yours has to do a lot with stress because you wouldn't be having a panic attack if you weren't stressed out also i love that this like country ass doctor is not invalidating a panic attack no. and being like you'll be fine go the fuck home he's like you no wonder you thought you were having a heart attack because number one you have this predisposal right and then like you wouldn't be freaking out this severely if you weren't under so much stress, stress. right he's like you like this is a problem he was like and then he told he went on to tell me he's like i diagnosed three other people your age with this exact heart condition in the past six months whoa so much stress in the world yeah well and like you said substance use to, to, substance to use deal to, with the yeah stress. to deal yeah. with the stress and um so he comes back down he officially diagnoses me and He's Thank like, you, Doctor Nicole. Right, I don't even remember his name. I should, <laughs> but um, he really he helped me out that first night. And um, do you feel like you your eyes kind of opened up? Yeah, like, definitely. Oh, and uh, he's like, "Well, it's not terminal." He was like, "It's very manageable." He was like, "You just got to figure out how to deal with your stress and all this stuff." No, like, oh, okay. so easy, right? Okay. So easy. Great. So we get back in the car, and I remember we got back on the highway, and we're getting up to the ramp. I go left. I go to Arizona. We go right. We go back home. What do I do? Mm. I go left. Because I'm like, I work too hard to get to this point. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. So I get there. We get to Phoenix. Get my apartment. You know. She leaves a couple days after that. I'm in Phoenix. I don't know a soul. I moved there by myself. Didn't know anybody. But that made me feel safe. Because I didn't know anybody. No one knew who I was. I could just be a chameleon and just blend you in. You start over. I could start over. It was, oh, it was great. Until it wasn't. And I got, I got a cardiologist as soon as I could out there. And he was like, well, you know, we're going to put you on an insane amount of ibuprofen to take the inflammation down. Mm -hmm. And you need to start exercising. He's like, go hiking, do all this stuff. And he's like, it's going to help. Like stamina based. Yeah. Like cardio based. Yeah. So yeah. I started doing that and it did help. I would get off work and I would go hike, you know, Camelback Mountain, South Mountain. And I would do all these things and I would just watch the sunset. And it really did help but i still wasn't dealing with the original issue of why yes, i was that like core this. Issue. that core issue and um that that took some time that took some time for me to get to that point and basically you know i lived in arizona for a while then i moved to california lived in la and that's when i kind of had my epiphany because at this point i had forgot to say in the beginning but 
my dad got diagnosed with Alzheimer's my senior year of high school. So he, this is six-ish years after that. So he's starting to get pretty sick at this point. And I'm not in a good headspace. I'm in a very dark, dark space, thinking, doing very bad things. And at this point, I know I need to get out. I need to go home. I need to be there with my family. I need to help my mom take care of my dad. And most importantly, I need to help. I need help. So I moved back to Indiana, the place I never wanted to be in the first place. You literally ran away from it. Literally ran away. And I moved back and um, started going to see doctors, got into therapy, which, Woo-hoo! right. I was the first person in my family to do that because, wow. you know, the, ther- the therapy stigma. Yes. But that shit saved my life. 100%. And, you know, between that and then the medication I got put on to help with the anxiety and the depression. And it was that first year of therapy was really bad because I'm talking about shit that I didn't want to talk about. So I'm going to therapy sessions, coming home, and then having insane panic attacks that night because everything's releasing. So my body's reacting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they put me on, uh, I was on Clonopin for like six months, like the bars and like that shit would just knock me out. But that was the only thing that would calm me down. It was so bad. It was so bad. My, it, my anxiety was so bad. And then I would be like anxiety hangover for like three days. And by the time I ne- had my next therapy session, I was just feeling normal again. And then I have another panic attack. Yep, start, start the cycle all over again. Girl, it was, it was hard. And this is why people avoid therapy, yeah. right? Like let's take a second to acknowledge all that. It is very, if you're, curious or wondering about starting therapy and you have traumas in your life Mm -hmm. that you've worked really hard to bury you your symptoms it is possible and very likely that your symptoms will get worse before they will get better because what did you just show an example of you have worked so hard to not feel Mm -hmm. and then what does therapy force you more or less to do they want to talk they want to make you feel about everything you're gonna feel shit right but you your body and you have worked so hard to not feel that now you're feeling and it's like we don't know what to do with the feelings anymore because Mm -hmm. you used to numb us out with alcohol and drugs and Mm -hmm. just being busy right and now you're confronting it right with no alcohol and no drugs and it was hard to say the least but i'm so happy i did it because i felt so much better at the end of the day and then i you know it made me feel comfortable comfortable enough to talk to him, tell my mom and dad. Well, I didn't really, my dad was so out of it at this point. I didn't really, he wouldn't have understood anyway. Told my mom, told my older siblings, didn't tell my younger siblings because they wouldn't have understood at this point. But like, to like finally start telling my friends what happened, that was a big deal. I bet. And, um, did anyone have any idea? Like this was a thought that popped up for me when you were saying, this happens your junior year. You work, you dive into school, which mm-hmm. isn't unusual for you. Your parents probably didn't think twice about that no. behavior. But was there any part of them, like, did your relationship change at all with any of these people in a way that they picked up on? My, so I think it, they started picking up on it too late. Like right before I graduated that my friends started to see the cracks in the wall. Mm-hmm. And I was starting to become a little bit unhinged. Like I just couldn't deal with things. But at that point it was too late. Like I already had my mind up. I was moving. And then when they would ask me how I was doing and everything out in Arizona, even though I know, even though I knew I was spiraling, I was lying so much. I was just being like, I'm fine. Everything's okay. Like don't need, no, no need to worry. Like I'm just lying and lying, lie on top of lie on top of lie. Same thing with my family when they would try to reach out. Like, they're like, what's going on? We haven't heard from you in a week. We haven't heard. And I'd be like, oh, no, I'm fine. Like, you know, just lies and lies and lies and lies just to 
make me feel better, but to also make everyone else shut the fuck up because yeah. I didn't want to talk about it yet. Yeah, you're like, stop asking me, stop asking me. Yeah, just me. like leave me alone. Yep. And uh, so we pacify them. Yeah, with lies, but and they knew they they knew. Yeah, they're not stupid. I thought they were, but they're not. I like, love this idea. I hear this from clients all the time, right? Of like, well, I just don't want them to worry, bitch. What do you think they're already doing? Making not saying anything, making them worry more. And it took me years for my mom to like drill that in. That's why after I got somewhat better and stuff, I was just so open with everything. Sometimes I might have said a little too much, but. Hell, at least she knew what the hell was going on. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with my friends, like, look, this is what I'm gonna this is what I'm doing. Now y'all know. You yep. know what I mean? So now you know, so now you don't have to worry. Yep. You well, you can worry whatever you want to worry, but Yeah, but no. they were gonna worry before. Right. And now exactly. they, they'll know what they're worrying about now. Exactly. And um yeah, so after I started getting better going to therapy, you know, started working in the restaurants back in Indiana because there's really not much to do as far as work. And um taking care of my dad then my dad passed away and after he passed away i was 26 my life changed again because now i'm dad i'm the oldest boy and i still had two little sisters that were in high school well one had just graduated but the other one was going into her senior year my brother was already married and out of the house at this point and you know my mom from taking care of my dad for so long her spine was you know, pretty uh, fucked up because he's just lifting, lifting. Cause, yeah. Because yeah, we, we had to change his diapers. We had to do all that. So she was down and out. And I basically went from being a 26 year old one day to being like a 45 year old with a mortgage the next day. <laughs> yeah, It was just crazy. But those four and a half years of me doing that before, you know, I came down to North Carolina. I learned a lot. Oh my God, did I learn a lot? I went through a lot, but I learned a lot about myself and like what I can handle and like how important family is, no matter all the crazy family shit that goes on. You know, I could go on for days about all the shit that happened during those four and a half years of dealing with that. But it really made me sit there and think about what do I want with my life? Mm -hmm. What do I want to do? Because I put my life on pause for the whole time and I was still lost, still in my mid to late 20s, still like, I don't know what what I want to do. Also, I just want to like really drive that home. The monumental shift that happens between the ages of 23 and 27, please don't ever think you're supposed to have it all together. Right. Your brain, number one, not fully formed. Two, like you just said, you were so fucking lost. You're like, I don't even know what's going on. Like, I'm 26 years old. I thought I had my life figured out. All this trauma is coming up. I'm finally dealing with that. I'm back home in a place I did not want to come back to. Right. But I had to for my family and for myself. I needed help. These are my people. I'm coming back. Right. And now you're here. And now you're like, what the fuck? I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. You're not supposed to have it figured out. No, you're not. And it's it took me a while to get to that point. And like, we were, like we were talking about earlier, you know, with what I went to school for. You have to stay in that to grow in it. Yeah, sports management and sports medicine. That's, yeah, that's all you get. It's hard and, to go back and break through the, the un- mold. Unless you know somebody. Yeah. And so when I took myself out of that, I knew I was going to have to fight my way and call my way back in. But it, was just, it wasn't going to happen. I was working factory jobs and stuff back in Indiana and bartending a couple nights a week. Like It just wasn't going to happen. And um, when I was thinking about moving again, Cause my mom was just like, you've done enough. Mm. It's time for you to go and like 
take your life back. I'm so, I love that she acknowledged that. Yeah, she's, like, thank you for helping. Well, because she knew I was depressed. Like, she knew, like, I was just, like, miserable. I didn't really hang out with very many people because I didn't want to run into people from high school all the time back in my hometown. So I kind of just hung out the house and, like, I didn't really do very much. And um, she's like, well, you know, you need to go. It's time. And so I was like, okay, do I want to go back to California? Do I want to go? I was thinking about going to Nashville. Mm. Thank God I didn't now. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be a bad time. That was bad. Um, well, back then it was, but now I would not. <laughs> and then my best friend and her husband had moved to Raleigh from LA like five or four months prior to me moving here. And she was like, well, you should come down to Raleigh and like check it out. Like, you know, whatever. So I flew down for a couple of days and. I was like, oh, I could live here. And this was like right around the time when Apple and Google announced that they uh-huh. were coming here. So I was like, okay, so there's going to be jobs. Like it's a growing city and this could be good. And I wanted to buy a house at this point. I was so used to having my mom and dad's house that I was like, okay, I want my own space. I want a yard for my dog. And I knew that wasn't going to happen right away. But I was like, I could do that in North Carolina by myself. Mm-hmm. Can't do that in California by yourself unless you're making money. Yeah. But, um, so I moved here. And then the universe said, ha ha ha. Yes. The universe laughed in <laughs> my fucking you wanted a house. <laughs> face when I moved here because that's when the whole housing shit went to hell. <laughs> and I'm what like, year is this that you moved here? I moved here April of 2021. Yeah. So COVID is still full on happening still here. Still full on. Yeah. I got COVID prices with my rent, which I really liked. Um, and then got the job at uh, Wolf Speed, the you know, tech company, and kind of just went full into work again and like you know i was meeting a lot You're of starting people over again yeah starting over again and um i am not scared to start over i'm not Clearly. scared to move to a new city and just start over i don't as much as people think that i'm a hermit i am a hermit i like to be at home by myself i love my alone time but when i get out i can go to i'm one of the people that go to a bar and meet somebody and just sit there and talk to a stranger i think I that's so cool it's it just such a skill. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I am not not afraid of starting over. And like, this has been a really good experience, even though I really haven't adapted well to North Carolina. It, I, I've had my issues, you know, just like living down south now. And mm, mm-hmm. I never thought I would ever live in North Carolina. No. Oh, my God. This wasn't even a choice. Never thought about North Carolina. I think I was here like once when I was a kid at the Outer Banks and that was it. Yep. Um. So moving here, it was, it was interesting. And I've had my ups and downs here, but overall it's been, I can't, can't be mad. But well, we can't, uh, you can, there's I, a lot I to can. be mad at I, here. There's a very, there's a, yeah, now there is. But the crazy thing about moving here was my birth mom contacted me when I was eight, 19. And uh, we've had a weird off and on getting relationship over the years. Now I'm 32. I moved here not knowing anything yeah I, I thought you know i knew she was in florida for a while and I, I knew she had another son i have a half brother i move here find out that she lives right outside charlotte shut the fuck up dead ass no me and, my, me and my best friend found out that is insane i didn't know that before moving here and you know that's like two hours away that's crazy yes crazy so i we started talking i was like oh i live in north carolina now she's like no way she's like where i was like raleigh she's like oh my god i'm in right outside charlotte you know we still haven't met and i've been here for over two years that's just gonna take time like i said in the beginning her story is wild her life is insane her childhood was 
I know I am a big trigger for her probably uh, for trauma. So seeing me is going to be different than our, our little text messages. I've only right. spoken on the phone to her You're a little once. more abstract, right? Yeah. When you're not physically in someone's presence. Right. But I mean, and now you've gone 30 years of your life not being in the same area. And now you're literally in the same state. Yeah. I mean, it's that's crazy. 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 The odds are wild for that. I mean, I remember sitting there that day and talking to my best friend and she was like, this is fucking crazy. I was like, I don't even know. I didn't have any words. I had no words. No words. And then. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But then two months ago. Oh, here's the we'll see. So back in 20. Oh God. What was it? It was right before I moved to Raleigh. So this was like March of. 2021 i did 23 and me because i've had so many health problems with my heart condition and then like i had stomach ulcers and doing all this and i was like all the doctors are always like well what's your medical history it's literally in my file that i'm adopted i have no fucking idea stop asking me this yeah. so my my primary doctor was like tony you just need to do a dna test just do a dna test and try to find something out so okay so i did 23 and me i went from march 2021 to this would have been April of this year of only the only relatives that I would match with would be like second to third cousins or higher. So very far n- removed a couple uh, DNA matches. Like yeah. nothing crazy. I woke up one Saturday in April this year to a message on 23 and me from a first cousin who was black. So definitely on my dad's side, know nothing of my father um, found out that, one of my father's siblings was his mom. So my aunt's son, he messaged me and was just like, Hey, like asking me all these questions. Like, look, I don't have any information. I don't know anything. Like the chances are possible that we're related, but I don't fucking know. So he does some research, finds, gives me two options of who my father are, sends me a picture. I'm like, Holy shit. That is the first time in my life that I ever seen a picture of someone that I actually look like. I'll have to show you after. Yes. But, um, it's crazy. That's insane. And um, so he like connects me with the person who would be my father and then my uncle and found out that that actually is my dad. <gasps> he knew the details of my birth. He said it, he told me the details of my birth. So he fucking knew you did not say anything. Yeah. <gasps> he asked how my mom, my biological mom's name and her name. I don't know. I don't think I'm going to say it. Um, he he knew her name, knew the family she was living with, went to the high school with my older sister, like my mom and dads, like my, but, well, my family was adopted into, went to high school with her, went to high school with my cousin, grew up the same town, Washington. They were like all friends. They all knew each other. That's crazy. I did, we just didn't know that he was the father. That's nuts. And come to find out he is the father. Maury says, from Maury heaven, says, you are, you are the, the father. father. It only took me 32 years to figure this out. But he lives outside of Atlanta. He does really well. He owns his own catering company. He actually wants to come up to North Carolina this summer to meet. Oh, boy. We're going to have a reunion episode or some wild shit. We need it's to talk about it. It's going to be crazy. I'm going to need tequila. Okay. <laughs> this is the moment. Circle back. Right. We're going to need an alcohol. Right. Yes. Oh my God. this Tony, yeah. that is wild. Yeah. So this has all just happened recently. And Joan knows your mom. She was thrilled. Oh. Because we didn't, she didn't know anything either. Like the only information we had was three guys that were on the adoption papers that went through the state of New Jersey. And 
two of them denied paternity test and one of them just wasn't it. So that was all I knew. And I only knew one of the names and he wasn't on there. So he wasn't even an option. No. And, and, I, I, and y'all have confirmed this, that you yes. are. <gasps> and you need to be on Hallmark. I know my, my biological mom, I would ask her all the time, like, can you not give me any, inf- you know, any information? Yeah. Honey, my, my life was, she would say, honey, my life was so fucked up back then. Like, I just don't know who it could be. Yeah. And I would press her and the more I press her, the farther she would pull away from me. I was young. I was in my young early twenties and I was, I just want to know where I came from. You know, that's that's a basic human right. Everyone should know where they came from. And, uh, you know, now I told her that I found him. I, he knows where she's at. She knows where he's at. And that's out of my hands. Yeah. Maybe they'll reconnect themselves or maybe not maybe that's not meant for them I don't know if they're going to reconnect at all but it sounds like what matters is that you have figured it out I figured it out and I know I have a half brother from her and I have a half brother from him that's it this is wild yeah I told you this was going to be crazy no I love it (laughs) and I'm so grateful that you were like no I want to talk about it now okay I have I have points of this and then I we're going to talk about what you're doing differently now you've touched on so much of this of what you started mm-hmm. doing right like being physically active you've got a dog you have your family you've moved all these things yeah. but through all of that where do you feel safe has that it sounds like that changed right like indiana wasn't a safe space but maybe it was <sighs> indiana is weird for me because indiana isn't home but it's home new jersey will always be home The things I went through in Indiana just make it, I just don't want to be there. Yep. And I have friends all the time who told me, you know, like, why don't you just move back? Like, it'd be easier. It's cheaper. Like, you wouldn't be spending all the money on the rent that you do in Raleigh. I'm like, I don't know how to tell people enough. I don't want to fucking live in Indiana. I'm sorry, but I fucking don't. I don't give a fuck if I pay an extra $600 a month to live in Raleigh. I don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. No one has been in my shoes to know exactly the feelings that I felt when I lived there all those years and then having to move back and then relive all that shit. I don't want to fucking live there. No. Let me live where I want to live. Yeah. I don't give a fuck if I have to work three jobs to afford where I want to live. That It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Safe? I feel safe here. But I also, Calif- I love Southern California. God damn. Like, if I could go back, that's where you'd go. Yeah. It just, I know California has a list of problems, but so does every other place you're ever going to live. Name a place that doesn't. I just felt, because living out there, that was the first time I really embraced being gay. Because that was my first time going to a drag bar. That was my first time going to a gay bar. That was my first time holding another guy's hand in public. Mm. I felt safe there. I felt like I could be myself. I've never felt like that anywhere else, you know? So there's a lot of firsts for me out there. I just felt so comfortable. I mean, I'm, I remember one time I was dating this guy. We were at the grocery store out there. Me, him, and he brought, he had a little like shih tzu. And we were grocery shopping. And we're just minding our own business. And then we have this couple. It's an, like a middle-aged like uh, white couple straight. They come up to us. They're like, you guys are a beautiful family. I almost shit myself. I never have been in a situation where that would have, I thought that was even possible. Mm -hmm. 
then we're walking around the store again. We have another lady comes up. You guys are so cute with the dog. Like, I'm just like, what is going on? You mind the Twilight Zone? Right. The opposite? And then the guy I was talking to at the time, he was just like, you'll get used to it. He, he was from Brooklyn. So he grew up in New York. So he kind of knows the feeling. But I was like, I spent all those years in the Midwest. And, you know, that was just not a thing. No, not acknowledging this no. people's happiness and letting them be who they want to so be. So I just, that's, California has my heart right there with that. But Yeah, absolutely. Do you, how do I want to ask this? Do you feel like, and maybe this, maybe I'm asking this in a weird way. Was there ever a moment that you thought about confronting or obtaining justice for yourself with what had happened to you in college? Or do you feel that that is something you have dealt with or will continue to deal with? I thought about it. But then I also was like, what is that going to do? Because it's been so long. And by the time I even got to that point, I was just like, you know, it's been years and I don't, I think I'm just going to always have to deal with it. That's, you know, that's unfortunate, but. This person's still alive. Yes. Yes. He's still alive. Okay. Out and about in the world. So just beware. Um, and I couldn't imagine what he did after me Yeah, because I, I mean, I don't even know if I was his first, I don't know that. Um, but I had been friends with him for like, since my freshman, like since like literally the beginning of my freshman year of college, he's been to my parents' house for dinner. So no wonder you don't want to fucking go home. Yeah. He went to my mom and dad's, I brought him home one weekend for dinner and my mom knew. So when I had to tell my mom about it, I had to tell like, well, it was this person. Like, he's a perpetrator. He's yeah. an abuser and a perpetrator. Yeah. Like I was like, it's this person. Like he's been in your house before. Like you fed him food. Because all moms and dads want to be able to do right. is like catch the bad guys. Yeah. Right. They want to be able to spot them. Mm-hmm. And you're like, nope, he went right under your radar. Yep. And um, so that, that, that was difficult pill for my mom to swallow. I think. Cause I, I was imagine. like, she I was like, yeah, well, you know, this is who it was. And, yeah. but I don't know. I've, I've definitely thought about saying something, but I don't know if it's going to do any good. Yeah. Well, do you have anything you'd recommend? And we can circle back to this if you feel like, but I feel like this might be a good segue of when you think about like saying, I'm, I'm going to deal with this probably for a while, if not the rest of my life, this will be something you will always live with. There are, I can't imagine the number of people who listen to this who have not also been, I don't want to use the word victim here, but it's what's coming up for me. So if you have a better word, please interject, but have been exposed to and on the side of receiving you know, sexual assault of some kind. Do you have any suggestions for them on how, you know, to go to therapy? Hello. Right. My, my, and this is just from obviously my experience, deal with it as soon as you can. Yeah. Just reach out to somebody like even... Even if I, I know I was scared to death about him like threatening my life like and all that. Retaliating, yeah. But if I could go back, I would have just said something, like just said something, got the protection I needed, and then just dealt with it as soon as possible. Don't hold it in because I don't want people. That's my biggest thing. I don't want people to went, go through what I went through. I mean, I literally spiraled like dark places in my head for years, and like having to heal from that made the healing process hell on earth. Mm-hmm. Like I can tell you so many times I would have panic attacks and I would just start crying and being like, I can't do this. I can't live my life like this anymore. Like the anxiety out of control, any little thing I would stress about having a doctor's appointment the next day. Even if I knew I was just going to get blood drawn in and out, 
I would just think about it. Like mm-hmm. that's my anxiety consumed my entire brain. And I still have to deal with that. I still have those days where I'm just like, why am I like this? And that situation changed like the, the trajectory yep, of, of my life, life completely. Yep. And I think your example so beautifully said about when you felt like you were having a heart attack, that happens very often, mm-hmm. right? There are actually models of therapy built on the premise that someone would have rather been having a heart attack other than a panic attack. Heart attacks we can treat. You can't do nothing for a panic attack. I can give you drugs. I can do therapy for them, right? right. But the core issue is so much deeper for panic right. than a heart attack. And like, the, the, I think the thing that frustrated me so much after I got diagnosed with the anxiety disorder and the panic disorder was whenever I had a panic attack, I was like, oh, just go to the hospital. I'm like, they're not going to do anything. When you go to the hospital for a panic attack, they're just going to like sit there and calm down. Here's some water. They might give you some Ativan or something to like take the edge off but they literally can't do anything like you just have to sit through it yeah and it's it's a whole go to a professional for real i will tell you all here's my little tip and trick and i think i've said this on the podcast before this is not a substitution for medical advice or therapy please go seek your own medical advice and therapy and i will link we will link some resources for sexual assault um and some other you know therapy resources to this episode but a trick Okay, we ready? If you feel like you are experiencing a panic attack and you cannot turn the thoughts off in your brain and you need an immediate restart, dunk your face in a bowl of ice water. Love that. I did. I started doing that mm-hmm. just out of, I just, I didn't know. I, I, I think I just did it one day. I was having a panic attack and like, I was what like, what the fuck do I do? Oh, this sounds that, great. So I would do the ice water in the face and then I had a bowl next to the recliner and I put my hands yes. in a, the bucket of ice. Beautiful. So there are right pressure points on your wrists. Mm-hmm. So that is why people run cold water over their wrists. That is why people splash cold water on their face yep. in movies and books and all these things we see about. You're also, if think about how cold that's going to be if you dunk your face in ice water, mm-hmm. right? What are you going to end up thinking about leading up to doing that? Just that. That's that. And then all those thoughts start to fade they away. Go away. You can't think about anything else. I also do in between the thumbs. Okay. Yeah, I, oh, your thumb and your pointer finger? Yep. That pressure point right there? Because when I... Isn't that connected to something in your brain? Yeah, blood pressure... Yep. So when I have like blood uh, hypertension headaches, I just sit there and I just squeeze. I love that. That's so smart. I've learned to do a lot of like things like that because I eventually got taken off medication because I didn't want to be on it for the rest of my life. Understood. And honestly, when I got put on the Xanax after the really bad panic attacks started to fade away, you know, they're like, oh, here's like a little 0.25 Xanax. Whenever you feel a little ner- anxious, like just take that. I can't function on Xanax. Most people can't. I'll take the little you know, the little pill, like the lowest dosage you can get, and I'm like useless for the next like... Like I'm a zombie. Bye-bye. Yeah. Yes. So like even at work and stuff, like when I would get like feeling like it was a real stressful day, I would get anxious. My boss was like, just take your Xanax. I'm like, just send me home at that point because I'm not going <laughs> to do... You don't want me to take the Xanax, I'm not okay? going to do anything. Yeah. Some so, people can function, like you said. Some yeah. people can take it. There's also other take-as-needed medications that are not going to knock you out as bad, yeah. but totally get that. So I just had to learn to do like natural remedies. I love that. No, these are all great tips. Okay. What else are you doing to take care of yourself? Um, so exercising. I do my... Um, I started doing like meditations. Love that. Um, with the breathing, which I have to be very careful about because I have had some issues with somatic OCD with like thinking about my breathing and my heart beating. I love the awareness of that. This is why, again, we say not everything works for everyone. So I have to be very careful 
when Understood. I used work, when I focus so on my So you can't do the like hold for four. Hell no. Breathe in for four, hold for four, You'll have eight. to pick me up with the four. I'll okay. be freaking the fuck out. Yep. Okay, okay, okay. Yep. No, that's, you are the second person that's told me that in like yeah. two weeks. Yeah, they're like, I can't do that. I can't do that. Um, And then also, I'm really, that's why I like to read. It just, and I like specifically like sci-fi and fantasy. Great. Because it just transports my mind. Have you read The Midnight Library? No. Okay. But I've heard about it. Put on your list. I'll put on my list. Um, That and then just really eating healthy. That has been really big part of my life for the past, since 2019. Um, When I was dealing with the stomach ulcers, I went vegan for a good two years, straight up vegan. And um, after I got used to it, that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life, by the way, especially because I was living in a house with people who weren't vegan. You lived in Indiana. So I'm smelling all the barbecue smells and all this. I'm like, I can't fucking eat that shit. And I'm so hungry. But um, that was the best thing I did for myself. And it really got my mind into wanting to eat healthy. When you say healthy, can we reframe that to say like you're eating for what your body needs? Yeah, for what my body needs. Yeah, let's just say that. Um, now I have definitely incorporated some like, you know, I love my shrimp, my oysters and I love do that. I do so like that. pescatarian. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I, I, you know, once in a while, red meat, not very often at all, but, um, that and the exercise, I can't stress enough. Physical the, movement is so important. Dude. And like, you know, I, around my neighborhood, around the golf course, I walk my dog every day and that walk, I don't have to run and just walk and like, I don't listen to music. I'm. I don't so know like why. More present. I'm just like present and I let my mind just kind of drift. And it, by the time I get back upstairs to my apartment, I'm just like, <sighs> everything's just ben. gone. I love that. And I'm very, this is going to sound, I don't know. I don't know. The other way that I deal with it, just because I have to, to be aware of my heart condition. So I have to be very aware of the stressors in my life. I'm very, very, very picky who I let in. I love that. I think that is a really big issue that a lot of people don't think about is like, do you have boundaries? Right. I have boundaries. <laughs> and if I don't want you in my heart, in my house, you're not coming in my house. Yeah. Like I'm, it's, I'm very picky about like who I like want to hang out with. Well, and I love with. that. And I even want to like take the word picky away, but just you are intentional yeah. about who you choose to waste. God, waste isn't the right word either. Scrunch that. Spend time you Spend time with mm-hmm. and on, because like you said, you have dealt with more stress and more trauma and more heartache in a, the a five year span right. than many people will go through in their lifetime. Right. right. And that's great. We don't want people to go through those things, but that's your reality. I am going to sit over here and I had an ulcer after my father died as well. Mm-hmm. More than likely your ulcer was caused by stress. Right. Right. 100%. And I'm, I had an intestinal ulcer, so I can totally understand that. I had to cut out red meat, yeah. all the wonderfully delicious all, things all the in good the world. Things. Correct. Yeah. So I feel that in my soul, but it's, you have to get more intentional. You have no other choice because you physically cannot handle the rest of it. And here's a wake up call for everyone. You have the choice to do that. Exactly. And guess what? It's actually not that hard. No, <laughs> no, we just like make it really hard, right? Like yeah. you don't have to go to that thing. You don't have to hang out with that person. You don't have to put up with that bullshit. You don't even have to like, that person's great. I love this phrase. I don't remember where I heard it and I really hope I find it, but I want you to eat just not with me. Right. Go live your life. Live your best life. I hope you're happy. I hope you eat wonderfully. I just don't want you to sit at my table. Right. That's that's it. That's it. It's not hard. And like that that whole mindset has really benefited me so much over the past couple of years. Especially like when I after I moved down to North Carolina and I was meeting everybody new. And I'm 
I'm the kid at the table that's very quiet at first, and I just watch everybody. And I'm like, okay, I like you, eh, no, um, you, yeah, I'll talk to you, you know? And like, so like, it was really easy for me to like, already like develop that like group of people that I wanted, that I choose to have. And you know most of them, mm -hmm. and it's a very good group of people. And, uh, you know, so I've, I've definitely developed my boundaries. I love that. And especially with being down here by myself, having my family in Indiana, my family up in Jersey and Pennsylvania. And then, you know, a lot of my really close friends don't live here. Right. They're, they're all, we're all scattered all over the country. So I like the feeling of just being independent and just having my own little city, I feel like. And I love that. It's been healthy. Well, having this empowerment. Mm -hmm. I love that. This is my life. It's my choice now. Um, it's been good. I love that. Any words of wisdom, advice, one, what do you tend to live your life by? Comparison is, th comparison is a thief of joy. Love it. I was just saying that this week to someone. I compared myself, especially when I was back in Indiana for those four years and dealing with all that crap. I compared myself to all my other friends who were out living these lives, going out to parties and going on these crazy vacations. And I'm stuck at home taking care of my family. And I'm like, my life sucks. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I embraced that quote, I was like, I'm doing what I need to do right now. I'm happy. I'm healthy. We're good. You know, that's their life. That doesn't mean I'm not going to be able to do what they, what they're doing eventually. Just it's not that the time for me is not now. And we also don't even know if they're enjoying their life. No. And it's just what you see on social media. It's all fake. It's all fake. It's all curated. It's all highlight reel. Mm -hmm. And again, you have acknowledged many times throughout this episode today of how much you love your family mm -hmm. and how important they are to you and how much you value them. So like you said, if I kept comparing myself, I should be out doing all these things. Yes. Do I 100% agree that no child, you'll, you'll always be your parent's child, right? right? But no child should ever have to take care of parents in this way and be an emotional support system and as well as be this physical support system that you had to offer that is a position we don't think anyone should ever have to put themselves into right. but like you said if you once you stopped comparing yourself to what these other 26 27 year olds were doing you were able to embrace where you were at. i embraced it and it actually got better like because my young my one of my younger sisters she started having she's she had you know my niece oh i have a niece and i have two nephews she started babies and i was just like I would have missed, got to miss on those first couple of years mm -hmm. if I was not living in Indiana. Mm -hmm. I would have been in LA doing crazy shit. You would never been home. I would never been home. I would have seen him once a year mm -hmm. at Christmas, hopefully, if I could even get off work. You know what I mean? So it was, there was definitely gems it, despite everything else going on. Absolutely. What else do you feel? I mean, like you said, we could talk for hours. Literally, we could have like five episodes. And I don't feel like this one episode does justice to the nature and the depth of your story. Is there anything that you feel like we could say that you would like to leave us with from your story? I'm still here. That's it. I'm still here. I really I could, want to throw in a bitch at the end of that. Right. I'm still here, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm still here Hell and yeah. I'm still. Hell yes, you are. And I could have not been here so many times. I've thought about it so many times, but I still wake up every morning. I get out of bed, take my dog on a walk and I embrace the day. I take it one day at a time now. I don't, I try not to think in advance because that's when the anxiety kicks in but take it day by day and i just deal what comes you know and 
That's the biggest part. That's why I want people to really understand is I'm still here. If I'm still here, you can still be here. Because it gets dark. It does. But guess what? It gets better. And then it gets dark again. And then it gets better. (laughs) Right. The sun will always rise again. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Well, I know I'm so grateful that you are still here. Well, I thank you so much. I'm happy I'm still here. I wouldn't have got to meet you and, you know, a lot of experiences that I had in my life. A lot of people I would not. And that's my biggest thing is human connection is such an important thing. That's been a a thread that we have weaved through this episode is being connected to people that make you feel loved and safe and supported. And when you go through trauma and you go through these experiences that are negative and harmful, find people that will listen to you. Yep. And if you, when you find them, hold on to them and don't let them go. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of sheep and wolf's clothing out here. Don't even, we can't even talk. We I can't. Know. <laughs> oh God. We can't even go down that path today. No. Tony, thank you so incredibly much. We will link some resources to this episode because I think that's really important mm-hmm. based on the nature of what we talked about today. And then if you have anything that you'd like to make sure we link on here, we can do that as well. Definitely. Why? Well, appreciate so much being here i would love to come back and talk some more let's do it yeah we're gonna do it i mean i've got people i'm like one hour is not enough no it's not not enough i know i was that's what i was worried about i was like how am i gonna fit all this into one hour don't you worry we did great we love it okay Okay. thank you oh tony thank you so much thank you so much thank you for listening to i've been better i'm your host susan youngstead please be sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts and follow us on social media at I've been better dot pod.